Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 this morning, Acts chapter number 16, and I want to give you just a little bit of uh, background here as before we really get into reading the text. Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey, as we would call it, and, and uh, he and Barnabas have kind of parted ways. Uh, Paul took with him Silas, and, and they've kind of continued on. Uh, Barnabas took with him John Mark, and they, they went on their way serving the Lord. And so now uh, Paul has, uh, he's, he's moving on, pressing forward with the, uh, spreading the gospel in, in regions that have not yet received it. And in the early part of this chapter, he comes to the cities of, of Derby and Lystra, kind of in the southern region of Galatia and Phrygia there, and he meets up with uh, some, some people there, some believers that are there, and among them, uh, there is a young man by the name of Timotheus, or Timothy, uh, who the Bible simply says Paul would have to go with him. And, and this was a man that he would train and mentor. Of course, we, we know of the books of First and Second Timothy were, that were written to this young man years later as he was off serving the Lord on his own and Paul was trying to encourage him. And so Paul's team is kind of growing and they're expanding and they're going forward serving the Lord. But I want to pick it up here in uh, verse number six. And if you are able to, let's stand together as we read the scripture uh, this morning. We're going to read verses six down through number 10 this morning. It says here in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden, listen to this, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of led by God's Spirit. Led by God's Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I, I do just pray that in these next few moments that you would help me to be able to accurately communicate your word. Lord, may we see uh, some things in the scriptures that maybe we haven't seen before or maybe we just need to be reminded of this. And Lord, that we would be challenged to walk each day following your leadership and guidance in our lives. Lord, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. On Wednesday night, uh, this past week, uh, we spent some time talking about the importance of the Spirit-filled life, and really the necessity uh, for God's people to be walking each moment of the day, not in our own wisdom or in our own flesh, but in God's power. Uh, walking according to his leadership, walking according to his will. And so in a very general sense, we, we address that issue of, of being led by the Spirit in the sense of we need to be walking continually in the fullness of the Spirit. 
But this morning, I want to just emphasize that particular aspect of, of the Holy Spirit of God leading and directing us and guiding us throughout life. In John chapter number 16, verse 13, Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit of God when he called him the Spirit of truth. And he said that when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, it is, it is the job of the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. Now, we can understand that in a sense when we say, well, when we open the Bible and we try and, and read and discern what it is that God is saying, the Spirit gives us what we would call illumination. He, he, he opens our understanding and gives us understanding of His Word. And that's absolutely true. But I believe it applies to more than just our understanding being guided into truth. It has to do with Him actually leading in the decisions of life and, and directing our paths. We're familiar, probably most of us, with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 that say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? He shall direct thy paths. In other words, he's able to lead you in the way that you ought to go. John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In other words, it is a normal, natural part of the Christian life to hear from God and to follow His leadership. Now, that doesn't mean that we're hearing an audible voice or seeing some kind of a vision, but it does mean that there is going to be in our lives the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit of God that guides us in the way that we ought to go. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 23, a very famous verse, says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I want to be a good man whose steps are ordered by the Lord. There, there are, when you think about it, we, we heard a song just a moment ago, uh, this, this, uh, this world has many choices. And, and it's true, you make thousands of decisions every single day. And folks, it's important for us to realize that we need God to lead us and guide us in each and every one of those decisions, don't we? We need Him to direct our very steps. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I love that verse because here's what it means. We have an idea of what the future is going to look like. I mean, most of us have some plan of what we're going to do when we leave the church house this morning and we go on. Maybe you've got plans to go home and eat a Sunday uh, dinner with your family. Maybe you've got plans to go out to a restaurant. Maybe you, you, you're thinking already ahead about the work week and the things that you're going to have to do. Some of you are probably planning vacations for uh, later this year. Some of you are, are maybe making plans and preparations for the springtime or the summer, uh, home remodeling projects, whatever the case is. We've got things that we're thinking of that we are making plans and preparations in our heart and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because the heart of man deviseth his way. That it's, it's, what we, it's how God has made us. We're to be looking ahead and planning and preparing and, and to the best of our ability we are to make decisions based on what we believe is God's will. However, our plans and our preparations and the, our way that we have devised in our own mind must never override 
what God is leading us to do in that very moment, right? The, the heart of man deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. God is in the business of leading us and directing us each moment of the day. And we ought to be sensitive to that and listening to that. And so as in our text here, as we saw uh, Paul and his team uh, expanding and taking the word of God and carrying the word of God uh, to different parts of the world, regions of the world that have never heard, by the way, they were doing this in accordance with the very commandment from Christ that the gospel was to be preached in every nation to the uttermost part of the earth to every creature. And so they were simply obeying what God had already told them to do, right? And as they're following the leadership and guiding of the Lord, it says in verse number 6, they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, it says, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. There was an interruption. Along the way, trying to follow the will of God, doing what they believed was right, yea, doing that which God had commanded them to do, they experienced an interruption. And it wasn't that Satan got in their way. It wasn't that there were just obstacles and challenges to overcome. It specifically says that it was the Holy Ghost that forbid them to preach the word in Asia. Now that might look to us like, I mean, this is, this is, how could that be? After all, this is God's will. We know it's God's will because Jesus said that the gospel is to go to everyone. So here I am in Asia. I'm trying to preach the word of God, the, of God to these people. And God says, no, don't do it. Have you ever experienced an interruption in your life? Going about trying to do what you felt was right, what what the Lord was leading you to do. And all of a sudden, it seems like God just said, no, I have something else. And maybe he hasn't even revealed to you exactly what it is that that something else is. But you just are very aware that God is saying, not at this time. That can be a frustrating place to be, can't it? To experience an interruption to sense that God is saying no when it seems very clear that it has to be yes. You see, it would have been easy for Paul and his team to ignore the clear leading of the Lord. It would have been easy for them to say, well, we're just simply trying to obey God. Therefore, this obstacle in my way has to be Satan, who's trying to stop me from accomplishing God's will. The Great Commission is for all the world, and certainly we can say that it was God's will for the people of Asia, and this is speaking of that region of Asia Minor, uh, where those churches that kind of uh, in Turkey there, those churches that we know of later on in the New Testament, uh, Ephesus and Laodicea and Smyrna and all of those churches were in that region. We know it was God's will for them to hear the gospel. However, in this moment, it was not God's will 
for Paul at this moment, at this time, to be the messenger to them. And I think this is an important distinction when it comes to understanding the will of God in your life and in my life. There is a general will of God that is true for all people at all times. In other words, we could say it this way. It is the will of the Lord that every person would be saved, right? God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. That is his will. Not only does he want you to be saved, but he wants you to follow him in obedience. He's commanded us to follow in believers' baptism, to unite ourselves with a scriptural New Testament church where we can join and become part of that body where we can serve the Lord together. We know that it's his will for us to continue in prayer, to be faithful in reading and studying the scriptures, to be witnessing and telling others about Christ, to be growing in sanctification. We know all of these things are true for all of God's people at all times. This is what he desires for us. There is a general will that God has. And by the way, as part of that will, we can say it is his will that we would be faithful in getting the gospel to every creature in the world. We know that's the case. But in light of this general will that applies to all people, there is also a specific will of God for you in your life. There are things that God wants specifically in your life that are going to fit within the context of his general will, but they are specific to you. They're individual. They are even time-sensitive and time-specific. In other words, and I'll, I'll, I'll use this illustration, this example, because I talk to young people sometimes who are looking to get married. They want to uh, find a spouse. And one of the things that we often emphasize to them is that you need to be concerned about marrying the right person. And I think that's a good thing to emphasize, don't you? It's possible to marry the wrong person. And if you marry the right person, uh, you might find that that's the greatest blessing of your life. You marry the wrong person, and you might find it's the greatest curse of your life, right? And so marrying the right person, that's an important thing. But did you know it's not just about marrying the right person, it's also about marrying the right person at the right time. Timing matters too. God might lead you differently than he led me. I was married at 19 years old. And I've told people before, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, my wife would agree, yeah, he was young, immature, you know, all those things. But listen, timing matters. And it's true in every decision in your life. It might be that there's something that God wants accomplished, but he wants to use someone else to do it. Or it might be that it's something that he wants to do through you, but it may just not be the exact moment of time. And so because we don't know these things, we are, it, it, it really is, is incumbent upon us to make sure that day by day and moment by moment we are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us and guiding us into truth so that we would be in accordance with God's will. You see, the time would come, not in chapter 16 or 17, but by chapter 18 and on forward, we find Paul on his third missionary journey. And on that third missionary journey, most of his 
efforts to, to, to preach the word of God were being accomplished in the region that he was forbidden, in, for, uh, forbidden to preach here in chapter 16. In other words, it wasn't that God was saying to him, no, I don't ever want the people of Asia to hear the word of God, but it was that he was saying, listen, not at this time, because there is something else that you need to do. Timing is important. Timing matters. I think back to the book of Genesis, and we see a man by the name of Joseph, who was a young man, and he, through dreams, the, the Lord was revealing to him that he would be a ruler among his people, that his brothers and even his father and his mother would bow down to him, that, that he would lead uh, his family, that God would use him to accomplish his purpose. That happened when he was a young man. And then, if you know the rest of the story, things didn't go according to Joseph's plans, did they? Uh, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold to Ishmaelites, brought down to Egypt, sold as a slave, prospered there as a slave in Egypt until he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. And in prison, and as a slave, the Lord was with him. Raised him up, to become a ruler in Egypt, and ultimately over 20 years would pass between the time that he had these dreams as a young man and the time that God would fulfill that which, which he told him he was going to do. 20 years. One of the statements that's made is in the later part of Genesis. I forget exactly which chapter. But it says that when his, when his brothers came to Egypt... And they bowed down before him. It says, then remembered he the dreams. Imagine what that was. I'm sure after all those years in Egypt, Joseph had given up on what he thought, what he used to think was God's will. And it wasn't that God had said no. It was that God was working in his perfect timing. We could fast forward just a few chapters to a man by the name of Moses. Moses, who was really shown by the Lord that he was going to be the deliverer of his people, Israel, out of Egypt. But what happened? Moses took that which he knew God wanted him to do, but he took the matter into his own hands. And he tried to kill an Egyptian who was smiting a Hebrew. And he ended up leaving Egypt and spending 40 years in the wilderness leading a flock of sheep on the run from Pharaoh and by the time God said, now it's time, go back to Egypt and do what I've called you to do, Moses is like, I can't do that. I mean, that ship sailed a long time ago. But you see, God doesn't always see things the same way that we see them. And God's timing isn't always consistent with our timing. And Paul could have said, listen, I'm going to keep pressing on because, bless God, this is what I'm called to do, and I don't care what obstacles are in my way, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. But he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and recognized that this is not me and my will. It is the Lord's will that I'm trying to accomplish. Those of you who know uh, me and know my testimony probably are already aware of some of these details. Some of you may not be. 
But when I was in Bible college, actually before, before I even got married, um, I had surrendered to go as a missionary to the country of the Philippines. And we believe that it was God's will for us to do that. I've always had a heart for missions. I've been involved in missions since I was a young man. I think I took my first uh, foreign missions trip when I was maybe 14 years old, something like that. And, and missions has always been on my heart, and so it just seemed to fit when, when uh, I, I sensed that the, the Lord was leading me to go to the Philippines, and I could go into that whole story. I surrendered to that, and we started off our marriage in the first few years of our marriage believing that that was what God wanted us to do. I finished Bible college. We served uh, in southern Africa for a period of time as part of our missions training and preparation, came back to the States, and we started deputation just maybe a month or so before Isaac was born. We, we took some time and, and traveled the country and uh, presented our ministry uh, in several different churches. During that time, we took a three-month span of our deputation time. We went and spent time in the Philippines uh, trying to get things started for our ministry. We rented a house. We purchased a car. Uh, we made some contacts. We did a, a kind of a mass uh, evangelism event where we traveled kind of all over the country, uh, just passing out a lot of literature and, and looking for responses. Where are the places that, uh, that there are needs and, and opportunities? We rented a house. We were ready to go. We came back to the States. We went through Baptist Bible Translators Institute to get a, a linguistics foundation so that we could go and learn the language more quickly. And in a period of less than a year and a half, including Isaac being born three months in the Philippines and nine months at BBTI, we raised 93 or 94% of our support that we needed to go to the Philippines. We had set a date that we were going to leave, July 12th of 2011 was when we were supposed to fly to the Philippines as full-time missionaries and establish and start our ministry there. In February of 2011, one of our supporting churches uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas, lost their pastor. Their pastor resigned to take another church a couple hours away. And this was a church that we knew, that we loved, that we had relationship with, and I was burdened for them. I was just burdened for these people. And I knew these people need a pastor. I began praying for them to find the man that God had for them. This is, mind you, five months before we are leaving to go to the Philippines. We happened to be at BBTI at the time, and only 45 minutes away, and uh, uh, working around my schedule, some different meetings I had and things, I told the men of the church, I said, listen, if you need someone to come and preach uh, on any of these days that I'm available, I'm willing to do that while you're looking for a pastor. And so I did, and probably three, four, maybe five times in the span of a month there, I filled in for him on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or whatever the case was. And by March, my burden for these people was growing greater and greater. Mind you, my burden for the people of the Philippines was no different. And I believe that God had called me to those people, and I was on my way. 
But I wrestled with this because, Lord, what about these people? And who's going who's to minister to them? And who's going to feed them? And who's going to care for their needs? And all of that. And finally, one Sunday afternoon, I remember just saying, Lord, I don't... It's not my will, right? It's yours. If you want me to stay and pastor these people, I'll do that. But you've got to make it clear. If you want me to go to the Philippines, that's great because I'm on my way. We've got all the pieces are in place and we're going. But I need you to show me. And I said, I'm not, I told the Lord, I said, I'm not going to say anything to anyone. I am not going to put in a resume. I'm not going to tell them that I'm feeling this way and struggling with this. If you want me to stay here, you're going to have to make that happen. This was on a Sunday afternoon. Thursday, I got a phone call from one of the deacons who was kind of heading up their pulpit committee. And he said, we need to talk. Can we get together for breakfast tomorrow? We met the next day and sat down over breakfast, and he said, you know, we've had six, seven, eight different people that have sent in resumes, and we believe that they're qualified men for the most part. Some of these people, one had served on staff at the church before, maybe two of them had. Uh, some were related to a former pastor. These were men who the church knew and trusted, and he said, we had a meeting last night, the men of the pulpit committee, he said, we had a meeting last night, and there's one thing that we all agree on, and that is that God is telling us to set all of these resumes aside and ask you to come be our pastor. It was so clear and so obvious at that time that God was saying, this is what you are supposed to do. To use some wording from the book of Isaiah, this is the way, walk ye in it, Okay. That was what it, 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 it was so clear that God was saying, do this, that I would have been in rebellion if I would have said no. But I lived for the next several years going, yeah, Lord, I, I love these people. I'm thankful for this. But what about those people that I was supposed to go reach? And to this day, I don't understand all of the things that, that God has done in ordering my steps in the way that he has. But I do know this. God led me where he led me. And I needed to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hold your place here in Acts 16 and go back to Acts chapter 8. And during that particular period of my life, there was something that the Lord taught me about His will. Acts chapter number 8. And we'll, we'll begin reading in verse number 26. Now, to give you some background, uh, Philip, who was one of the deacons at the church in Jerusalem, was among those who were scattered because of the persecution that came at the hands of Saul. And... Philip went down to Samaria and began preaching the gospel. And the, there was a great moving of God there. People began to be saved and, and, and baptized. And the Lord began to form a church there in Samaria. And Philip was part of all of that. And it says in verse number 26, In the midst of all these things happening, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And here's something that, that's interesting to me, and it really stood out to me. I remember distinctly 12 years ago, just about this time, 12 years ago, reading this and noticing some words that stood out. Arise and go, what is the next word? 
Do you see that? Verse 26, the, the, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go, what is it? Toward the south. Toward the south. Unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, I had always read that before as though God was saying, go to Gaza. But God didn't say arise and go to Gaza, did he? He said arise and go toward Gaza. Go that direction. Then, verse number 27, he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Do you realize that Philip never made it to Gaza? He never made it to Gaza because his destination wasn't Gaza. He was simply supposed to meet someone along the way on the road to Gaza. But God didn't even tell him that, did he? He just said, arise and go this direction. And, and Philip arose and he went. And along the way, the Spirit said, now I want you to stop and I want you to meet that man over there. And I want you to talk to him. And it says in uh, verse number 30, and Philip ran thither to him. Isn't it interesting, as we look at this, that God had a person, a, a purpose in mind in sending Philip toward Gaza. Philip didn't know the purpose, but he followed. And, and immediately, it says that he arose. It says that when, when the Spirit said to join thyself to his chariot, that he ran I mean, Philip was committed. He could have easily said, God, here I am in Samaria. All these great things are happening. Why would you have me leave here and go somewhere else? Or he could have said, okay, I'll go to Gaza and been so diligent in going to Gaza that he missed the leading of the Holy Spirit in the process. But he didn't. And the Spirit guided him not from one destination to another, but he guided his steps and he led him step by step along the way. You know what the result of that is? This Ethiopian eunuch trusted Christ, was saved, he was baptized, and history tells us that he took the gospel back to Africa and really opened northern Africa to the gospel. In other words, the, the Lord had a purpose and he had a work that Philip couldn't see, but Philip simply followed the leading hand of the Lord and God led him to where he needed to be. And here's what God showed me about his will. The will of God is not a destination to reach. We often think of the will of God in this, this high level sense of, you know, where I'm supposed to live and what I'm supposed to do for a living and who I'm supposed to marry and, and you know, what church am I supposed to be in. Those big issues of life, we're concerned about the will of God. But the truth is, all of those things are really just events along the way because the will of God is not a destination, it's a pathway that we are to follow. So God's will matters, not just in the big, high-level issues of your life. God's will matters in every step that you take. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Where do you want me to go? 
How can I use my tongue for good? What are things that you want me to think about today and, and set my mind on? What are, what are the meditations that would be pleasing in your sight? And Lord, lead me and guide me and direct me. This was the situation in the book of Acts with Paul. As we go back to chapter 16, he's trying to serve God, but the Holy Spirit interrupts him. And I love the fact that it specifically tells us in verse number 6 that they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Verse number 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Bible specifically tells us it was not Satan who was hindering them. It wasn't just that, that they, were, they were saying, okay, we're, do, we're serving the Lord... And therefore, we've made the devil mad and he's fighting us, so we're just going to fight harder. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit enough to know this is God. God is putting roadblocks in our way, not simply because he doesn't want the people of Asia to hear the gospel, but because there's something else and somewhere else that we need to go. And I love this, this word, verse number 7, after they were come to Mysia, it says they assayed to go into Bithynia. That word assayed, if you were to just read that in context, you might think, you know, it just means that they attempted or they tried to go into Bithynia. But that's actually not what that word means. Most of the time, the Greek word behind the word assayed, most of the, most of the time that word is, is translated as to prove or to test. It's as if they were saying, okay, the Lord has hindered us from being able to preach in Asia. We know that we're supposed to be preaching. He's commanded us to do that. I wonder if he would have us to go to the north. And really, that's exactly what was happening. They were pushing west. They came west into Asia. The Holy Spirit said no. So they said, well, let's try to go north. And so they went north. But as they're going north, it's like they're proving, they're testing. Lord, is this what you want? In other words, they didn't just say, okay, I'm going to sit here, God, and just wait, and you tell me what to do, and when you tell me, I'm going to do it. No, they were mobile. They were moving. They were trying things and testing things. We know God's general will is to get the gospel to all people, so we are going to do that. But as we go about doing that, we are going to be sensitive to his leading and guidance in every direction, every step that we take. Lord, is this what you want? No, that's not it. Okay, how about this over here? Nope, that's not it. Lord, just lead us and guide us. Okay, so then verse number 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. We call this the Macedonian call, right? There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, notice that, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Immediately, when God's will was clear, without delay, without hesitation, we obeyed and we followed. Why? Because they were seeking to do the will of God. And let me tell you something, friend. If you will seek to do the will of God in your life, He will lead you in the way that you ought to go. Romans chapter 12, very familiar verses, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know how you find the will of God in your life? First thing you do is you surrender. Lord, whatever you want for me, whichever direction you would have me to go, I'm committed, I'm ready, I will immediately respond. And in the meantime, I'm going to get busy doing the things that I know that you have called me to do, listening, listening for the voice of the Spirit, guiding and directing my steps. Now, folks, we're here this morning, and I, I'm thankful that most of the people here, I don't know your hearts, but I, I, I know some of your testimonies. You, we, we profess to know Christ as our Savior. Romans 8 tells us that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit leads you. And each one of us needs to be surrendered to, Lord, whatever you would have me to do, not just in the big issues of life, but moment by moment, I want to be led by your Spirit. Help me to filter the words of my mouth. Help me to make decisions, even little decisions of life, based on your leading and guidance and not simply on my own wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Amen.